Now we're all swimming in the internet all the time. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryans, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, I wanted to ask you what your website was when you were a child. Uh, well, I was a child in the early 40s, to begin with, and my contact with the outside world was mainly through the radio. Um, listened to a lot of radio. Um, Jack Benny was my favorite, but uh, that was our main source of entertainment right up to 1957 when we've got our first TV. And I collected stamps as a kid, and so I learned a lot about countries. And one of the things that I learned was the smaller the country, the prettier the stamps they have. Some places, uh, little principalities in Europe and little countries in West Africa, which make a large portion of their national budget out of selling postage stamps to collectors. So there was no image search? No. And and you didn't um, you didn't download your Jack Benny episodes to listen to them later? No, nope. although later when I got into uh, serious collecting as an adult with open reel tape, I used to exchange recordings and built up a collection that included every single Jack Benny show ever done, even the ones before I was born. Well, I, you know, this makes me think that um, we have a lot of a lot of things have changed since uh, you were a child, and we have a lot of words that we didn't even use when we were, you were a child. And not only do we have a lot of words that you didn't use when you were a child, but we have a lot of words that we use every single day. There are some tech terms that are worth knowing, and um, and and as the terms get introduced, we also have to find a way to standardize the vocabulary and standardize the spelling and standardize the style, capitalized, not capitalized. So this all relates to common errors in English usage. Right. There's a couple of, uh, a few terms that uh, were so, so, so new and unfamiliar years ago uh, when, when um, the internet first became widespread. And we used to ask people to surf, surf to my site. Right. We used to do a lot of web surfing back then. How, have you heard that lately? No, I, I don't think people talk about web surfing much anymore. The, in my book, I discuss the, the fact that the woman who claims to have first invented the term surfing for exploring websites uh, said that she meant it to be targeted. I don't know if, if her claim is right. I think uh, she's just wrong about the associations of surfing because with a surf, you get on a board, you are not in complete control. The wave is going to take you someplace, and yeah, you can you can have some control over it, but you don't know where you're going to wind up. And so a, a, a targeted searcher trying to go to a particular URL uh, never made sense to me as surfing. Surfing would be just sort of clicking idly links one after another, seeing where you happen to land. And, um, being surprised, something that people don't do so much anymore. Well, no matter what her intent, uh, that doesn't even that doesn't really matter because the way the term has been adopted is exactly how you describe. And the only term, the only way I hear it 
used these days is channel surfing. Right, right. And just with the remote con control for your TV. And there isn't, there isn't any way in the world anybody would misunderstand, construe that to be, while I was channel surfing, I looked up the guide and I figured out what program I wanted and I punched the number for that. And so I surfed to that, yeah. <laughs> to that channel. Channel surfing is, is not that. Yeah, there's couch surfing too, of course, which is a <laughs> yeah, right. modern yeah, well, phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. And the same, same thing. Uh, you're, not, you're not exactly lining up your accommodation. That doesn't suggest that you're lining up all your accommodation for the next several months when you're couch surfing. Yeah. Um, well, along with uh, surfing, maybe predating surfing, actually, uh, there are some other some other, you know, new computer mumbo jumbo terms that aren't used anymore, or at least I haven't heard for quite a while. Uh, we used to have computers that that uh, where you you had a, a floppy disk drive to and you insert it into the into it and sometimes people got confused about what was a hard disk and what was a floppy disk right remember that one absolutely the entry in, in the book is under floppy disk slash hard disk the first um a magnetic disk recording that i ever encountered was in a language lab when i was taking french in, in junior college back in 1961 and we had a, a french teacher from paris who was very advanced technologically and we had to go listen to her and, and do practice with recorded dialogues on these very floppy uh, recordings who were played with a uh, an arm just like the one on a phonograph, but instead of holding a needle, it held a, a magnetic uh, detector on the end, and it actually had grooves that you could see that it, it went through. But then by the time computers started coming out, um, Floppy disks were originally fairly large, and they were indeed floppy. And then they ultimately got encased into a, a plastic case, which made the outside of it hard and non-floppy. The technical people knew that the inside was still what they had used to call a floppy. It just had a case on it now. But that confused people tremendously because they said, well, give me a floppy. Well, is this a floppy? I thought this was a hard disk. And the person said, no, you're confused. That's a hard drive. And a hard drive was a magnetic disk that was permanently attached to the computer, usually. Um, a much larger storage medium and, and not something that you just temporarily insert into a drive. And the disk goes into a drive. That confused people because, wait a minute, you can store information on a disk. You can store information on a drive. What's the difference? And the, the, what inspired me to write about this confusion was that I was working on a project where I was doing a lot of scanning and stuff. This is back in the 80s. And I asked uh, the uh, office secretary, would she please get me some more disks? And what I was thinking of was the, uh, was it four inches? What, that, what they used to be? Well, they used to be three and a half. Yeah, okay. Or, or, sorry, they used to be uh, five and a quarter. Five and a quarter, that's it. And uh, the when they became encased in hard plastic so that they didn't, they didn't, uh, you couldn't do as much damage to them <laughs> so readily, right. they became three and a half inches. Okay, yeah. So I just asked for uh, another disc uh, because I used up the one I was doing. And those, these are days with really low resolution. We weren't using up a lot of uh, data. And she said, 
when uh, she told me to come back to the office and pick it up, she handed me this big box with a hard drive in it. Mm. I said, no, no, it's a disc. Yeah, well, this is a disc, yeah, but that's a different kind of disc. That's a hard drive, and I need something much cheaper and less uh, cumbersome. So I decided, hmm, clearly this is getting people confused. What's happening now, of course, is that with the move to solid-state drives, uh, the whole issue is kind of going away. People still do um, use hard drives. Uh, I've seen recently some for sale on um, three terabyte, I think, at mm -hmm. um, Costco for a pretty good price, too. Mm -hmm. But... Yep. Um, in between, there was the CD-ROM, um, and which had all its own vocabulary problems, and that now is dying out, although a lot of us have a lot of stuff stored still on them. Mm -hmm. Well, all, yeah, all of these terms and all of this vocabulary has been in flux because the technology changes so quickly. And, of course, we don't use... Uh, floppy drives anymore or we don't use any insertable uh, disk anymore really the closest you could say is yeah you might still save something onto a cd um, some people are still doing that well and it's actually a disk and people do play dvds on their computers sometimes i still like to get some movies that you can't stream from netflix and watch them on it on the computer but practically speaking, the device that that um, that works the same way we used to use floppy disks to get files off of your computer and carry them around in your uh, in your briefcase or your pocket um, is is the it's I want to call it a thumb drive. What, yeah. what else can we call that thing? It's got a lot of names, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. I think the generic term is flash drive. Um, which isn't very self-explanatory. Neither is thumb drive. My it looks more like the top joint of a little finger to me. But um, yeah, there's flash drive, uh, USB drive, USB key, a jump drive, uh, and um, I've, there's I've heard of pen drives. I don't know what those look like. There are, there always seem to be coming up new names with them. People don't use the same terms, but. By and large, people seem to know what you mean when when you ask for it. Yeah, the only one that possibly confuses me is flash drive, which is the most generic and probably should be the most widely adopted. But I, I don't like flash drive because Adobe Flash has sort of taken over the term. Exactly. In in my brain, anyway. So when I think of computers and flash, I think of Adobe Flash. I don't think of a flash drive, but it. It certainly, it works a lot. These devices work much more quickly than our um, disks used to be, used to uh, operate. And so it could there is a flash element to them. It could also suggest a naked guy in a car. <laughs> <laughs> those, well, those I, hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't really come around to that one, but okay. But now you won't be able to forget it, right? <laughs> Well, now that that's that's a phenomenon that definitely predates computers. Right. Now, uh, any in any case, I think uh, the only thing I want to say is use whatever term you would like. I don't think it's going to be too confusing. I agree with you. 
Uh, sometimes you see these things styled as one word, uh, a jump drive, a yeah. pen drive, yeah. a thumb drive, all one word smushed together. In writing, would you would you make that one word? I think the, the usual practice in, in computer stuff uh, is to start out with two words and then maybe go through a hyphenated stage like email um, and then finally blur them together. It, it just it happens what usage community you're in, what they tend to do. I think most people still spell all those as two words, um, but occasionally you do see them blurred as, as one, and that may eventually become standard, although thumb drive as a single word just looks terribly awkward to me. I agree. I, I, would, I would separate those out as two words in, in writing. There may come a time when it becomes so standard that um, you you do put them together as one word. Um, and along these lines, uh, another term comes to mind that's a tech term worth knowing is email. Right. Now, styling the word email is uh, relatively all over the map, isn't it? Yeah, I have a very short entry in the book and on the website on this. Um, although the spelling E-M-A-I-L, one word, is extremely popular, some people prefer E-mail, which follows the same pattern as E-commerce, and of course a whole lot of other E-words. The E stands for electronic. And I, th I think that uh, I may have lost the debate on this one. I still put the hyphen in when I'm thinking about it. Occasionally I find myself not doing it. I don't think anybody's likely to get on your case and you know, bother you for any reason unless you're maybe writing for the New Yorker um, if you spell email as just one word. Well, I, yeah, and, and, and the, the idea of anybody getting on your case for it, only, I, think, I think you hit the nail on the head. If you're spelling it, if you're using it as one word and, and you're writing for publication and you haven't inserted the hyphen, uh, the editor will simply go through and search and replace <laughs> and to, the, the, that word and in, insert the hyphen for you because that's their house style. Right. Uh, in my regular communication, I have really, um, and I fought this, I, like you, fought this one for quite a while, thinking it should be hyphenated and tried to, tried to use that in my own communication. And I, I still do, but let's face it. Finding a hyphen on a keyboard is no fun. <laughs> well, you know, another it, something goes along with this. I think is that for a while, Apple led the way in, in making everything, you know, iMac and, and iPhone and i um, iPhoto and so on to emphasize what's on the internet. Now we're all swimming in the internet all the time, and it goes without saying. And you notice that the latest iteration of their photography app is not iPhoto anymore, it's just photos. Right, another related term, and this one goes back a ways. Uh, you have an entry, uh, you've, you've got mail. Right, became a movie. Yeah, what is that about? Now, I don't have an AOL account anymore, so I don't know what you've got, What's, what, what happened there? Um, it used to be that email programs would send you this little, little alert, you've got mail. Now, mail comes in so frequently now that it would be really annoying to have a barrage of such 
Papa information. But it got to be sort of extended cliche. And uh, people began to write me a lot and say, um, you have got mail. They said, you've got mail is actually you have got mail. To have is the same thing as to get. And therefore, it's redundant to say that. Um, they say, you should just say you have mail. Well, there are lots of things wrong with this. One of them is that got and have are not the same thing. Um, to get it is to receive it, and that's, it has to do with it's it, it just arrived. And to have it, you could have mail that's been hanging around on your hard drive for years. Um, so they have differences in that way. But the have in you've got mail is not an expression of possession. The word have here is just a, an auxiliary verb. You have got mail. And I, I used another example. Uh, you sent the mail. You wouldn't, there's no way to use have in that. You sent the mail, but it's still got to have. It doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean possession. It, it's just telling you that it is uh, something that has happened. Right. So people were bothered by AOL popping up the message, you've got mail, and thinking that that was not non-standard or right. uh, a redundancy or, or something. Uh, well, here's one of my favorite terms uh, that, well, I don't know about the, is it a favorite if you notice that, that uh, people have problems with it? Um, was it a pet that's peeve? The, maybe that's the sign of a copy editor or something. Yeah. I don't know. But whenever I hear somebody say, um, well, let me just ask you this, Paul. Did you write any blogs this week? Yeah, in my book, um, here's what I have to say about blog slash post. Ships used to chart their progress by heaving overboard a chunk of wood, a log, trailing a line and measuring how much of it unspooled in a given length of time. This allowed them to record the rate of the ship's progress through the water. The resulting figures were recorded in a log book, which was later abbreviated to log. The words meaning shifted from the device floating in the water to the book in which progress was recorded. Log also became a verb, referring to the process of making entries in a log book. In modern times, the word drifted away from seafaring matters to refer to any record of progress created out of periodic entries. Around the turn of the millennium, keepers of journals on the World Wide Web began to shorten the term web blog to blog and to refer to the activity of keeping a blog as blogging. The common term referring to a single entry in a blog is post, short for posting. But post is also a verb. You post an entry to your blog. Amidst all this overlapping terminology, many confused people have begun to refer to individual entries as blogs, writing, I made a new blog today, when they mean, I put a new post on my blog today. And when you, when I hear somebody say I wrote a blog, um, I, I, I immediately think um, in, it's sort of the difference between I, 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 wrote a ch I wrote a book versus I wrote a chapter for my book. Uh, somebody writing, a, authoring a book would never say, well, I, I wrote two books today. I, I was very productive. I wrote two, I, I outlined two books today. When they mean I outlined two chapters today. 
I think, or, but the, or I wrote a chapter today. They would never say I wrote a book today. Right. And the, I, I think in their head, in people's heads, that it gets it gets uh, confused about that that idea that there's a small part of it, and then there's the whole the whole thing is the blog. I think it's partly affected by the fact that blogging is a verb. So you're thinking of blogging as an activity, and therefore it makes sense to think of one instance of blogging to be a blog. And I think that's the unconscious logic that's producing that. Mm. Well, that, that's probably that's probably interfering too. Uh, in any rate, uh, when when you're trying to be specific about what you're doing, um, it's it would be better to say I to be clear. I would I would say I, I wrote a blog post or I wrote a post for my blog or something like that rather than say I wrote a blog. When I wrote a blog, it sounds like an in, incredibly um, uh, huge task <laughs> to sit down and write a blog. Right. And that, that also suggests that a blog has a beginning, a middle, and an end, which it doesn't, right. or it shouldn't. They, it's an ongoing activity. Or not. <laughs> they trail yeah. off into... Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think anybody ever... Con maybe. Well, I don't think a lot of people consciously let it trail off. I think they always have it in mind they'll get back to it at yeah. some point. It's an open-ended uh, open endeavor, blogging. Um. Well, we also have uh, a couple of other interesting terms that we didn't used to use uh, that that uh, we need to keep straight in our heads. Um, one is uh, the words backslash and slash. Ah, yes. Now, this has a history, in my mind, this has a history uh, that goes back to the days before Windows or before any graphical user interface of any kind right when uh an ms dos on a uh, on an ibm compatible computer you would you were required to use the backslash key to define uh where you want what where what directory you want to move to uh, when you were typing in on the mm -hmm. command line um None of what I'm saying it sounds like anything but gibberish to somebody who started using computers in the last 10 or 15 years. But if you used a computer prior to that, you probably have some familiarity with using the backslash key to navigate around to find your files on the machine. Uh, these days, though, the slash is used to uh, define parts of a URL you are typing to get around on the web. Right. Uh, do you, you have an entry on that, don't you? Yes. Um, and it's it's got a visual component I'll have to describe. This is a slash. Okay, that's a, a thing that, because the top of it leans forward, it is sometimes called a forward slash. So the, the bottom of the line is to the left a little bit, and then it leans to the right, with the top being more to the right. This is a backslash. There, you, the bottom is over to the right, and it leans back, and the top is to the left. Notice the way it leans back, distinguishing it from the regular slash. Slashes are often used to indicate directories and subdirectories in computer systems such as Unix and in worldwide web addresses. Addresses. That's not so much true anymore in web addresses. Although, if you're going into edit. A, uh, a website and you're dealing with some other programs than a browser, you may well wind up 
can wind up with uh, backslashes. Unfortunately, many people assuming backslashes, some sort of technical term for the regular slash, use the term incorrectly, which risks confusing those who know enough to distinguish between the two, but not enough to realize that web addresses rarely contain backslashes. Now, this is less of a problem than it used to be, because people got so reliant on Google that typing in URLs is a rarity these days. Or uh, people will just say, go to our website, and they give you the name of it, and counting on the fact that you're going to be able to find it without typing in HTTP, colon, slash, slash, etc. But it used to be fairly common for radio announcers who were trying to direct you to a URL to say, well, go to our station's um, website at so-and-so-and-so-and-so, backslash, da-da-da-da-da-da. And it would always be wrong. It was not never supposed to be a backslash. It was supposed to be a forward slash. Now, the thing is that there were really two kinds of people that would most likely be reacting to this. One is people like me who knew the difference between backslash and forward slash and would just silently say, okay, somebody got it wrong again, I'll put in a forward slash. And then there are people who mistakenly thought that the backslash was the same thing as a forward slash, so it didn't bother them either. So it probably didn't really confuse too many people. It's just one of those irritating misnomers that I would usually try to correct. I mean, theoretically, if you typed a backslash instead of a slash in a URL, you would not reach the site you were trying to get to. So I always found it worthwhile to shoot a quick email off to any radio station that made this mistake. But like I said, I don't hear it too much anymore. I still hear it uh, because, as you know, I'm a I'm a baseball fan, and I'll I will tune in. Uh, I'm I'm such a boring baseball fan. I will tune in broadcasts of local announcers from around the country uh, over the internet, and once in a while you'll hear something like this on the broadcast. Alaska Airlines offers food and beverages from iconic Northwest brands. Learn more at alaskaair.com/backslash/beyond. But by and large, you'll hear people announce that it is, if they are including a slash in their directives, um, radio announcements, they'll, they'll, they'll use the slash and they'll, they'll get that correct. But it, it, it still lingers a little bit out there. All right. To show you how far things have come, I heard this, this really intriguing piece on All Things Considered yesterday. And, uh, I wanted to follow it up. It was on the 25th anniversary of the Hubble Space Telescope. Somebody made a music video for them, and they said, you can just go to our YouTube channel, Skunk Bear, and no further details. And I got, yeah, went to Skunk Bear, and uh, Google took me right through it. It's, it's very good, actually. Well, yeah, we need less and less of that kind of information to find what we're looking for. And that that just follows. That's how the brain works anyway. No, Nobody listening to a radio announcement probably, I'm assuming, is uh, trying to memorize a long URL to to type that in later, uh, if they hear it. However, when you reach somebody's voicemail, you still need to be instructed every single time that you can leave a message after the tone if you wish to use further options, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I read an article once that theorized that this is a plot on the part of the uh, carriers to get you to stay on the phone longer and use up more of your allowance of minutes when you 
when you reach voicemail by stalling you a bit for this, which serves about the same function as uh, here's how you insult, insert the tab into the slot on the seatbelt on the airplane. Mm -hmm. Right, right, yeah. Well, now that that if that's the case, uh, then that might be going away too because uh, minutes don't tend to be limited the way they used to be. Right. Paul, I'm, I'm going to say thank you for this. We'll continue the discussion on tech terms worth knowing later on. Okay. Talk to you later. That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.